Hello, welcome to Trash Arts Tick, Season 2, Episode 1. And with myself, Ryan, we got Sam, and we got Jackson. Hey. And so today, guys, welcome back, first of all. Uh, we're going to do industry, so we're going to bring you back up to speed with everything that's going on in the world of film. Then we're going to actually discuss a little bit about Senseless, the film that we've been doing, or filming, really, uh, during August. And... Um, then Sam actually had the pleasure of having an interview with Dan Hawkins, who's actually becoming quite a well-established filmmaker within the industry. And uh, then we're going to be discussing everything aliens within films. So over to you, Sam, for industry. So we start with the horrible information that Robert Patterson has COVID-19. And um, the reason why I wanted to start with that is it's more of a question of the bigger picture here. This is the first major star of a major film who's got COVID three days into back into production. It's also based in the UK, which at this point, like they're trying to get a lot of the industry to come over to the UK and we're not good for COVID just yet. So it's interesting that we, we've got to this point now where there are so many films desperately trying to get back into production that this happened very quickly. So I, I think it's an important thing that we need to start thinking is it, is it right to be rushing these major productions? Is that Batman? Yeah. Now, I know, like, obviously, us discussing it isn't going to make the producers go, they've got a point. <laughs> <laughs> but it's understandable that a lot of indie filmmakers have been in the same boat. A lot of filmmakers who were going forward with films are going, let's just wait. And when you see this, you can understand why people are, like, slowing down just a little bit. With all this happening, Francis Ford Coppola has decided, and I'm, I'm assuming this is a, like a tribute to cinema, to recut Godfather 3. So the Godfather 3 is coming back in, in the cinema in <laughs> December. And um, I personally have not seen Godfather 2 or 3, so I can't comment. But I also know that everybody hates Godfather 3. So it's the one that didn't perfect the like trilogy, as it were. I thought it was quite good. Yeah, but you and if you if you went and looked at critical reception or audience reception online, you'd probably find that everybody generally doesn't like Godfather 3. Um, the new title for it, this is a, a lot of words. Mario Puzo's The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Corleone? Corleone? Yeah, Corleone. Corleone. So I, I, get, I get the understanding of this. My, my concern is like, he's probably doing it also because he wants to get his next film funded. And Coppola's no spring chicken. You know, he's nearly 80. And he's, yeah, I, I just feel like it's not, he's not doing it for the best reasons. Anytime a director goes back to a film and recuts it over and over again, sometimes you're just like, just let it be. Blade Runner is a good example of that. Although we got the better version in the end, it took a long time to get there. And of course, you know, the Star Wars films, ET films, they just added CGI. We, we, don't, we don't need that. And with Coppola recutting it, is, it, is he listening to the audience reception and going, yeah, he's right, just cut that bit, cut that bit. We'll see. It'll be out in December. Uh, Netflix have recently made the film Army of the Dead, which is with Zack Snyder. He directed it. It's his big attempt of having his own IP, basically. Um, to the point where Netflix have gone, great, let's do a prequel film. And we're going to have an anime series based on this one film. So there's this whole new franchise that Zack Snyder's all over. And like, I know talking about Zack Snyder online, people are very Marmite. And personally, I'm on the side of, ugh, of Marmite rather than, hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I get it. He wants his own franchise. He wants to keep up with those fans. And it might be good. I don't know. Like, he's generally considered his best film as Dawn of the Dead, the remake that he did, his first film. So, I don't know, maybe going back to zombies will bring more than just slow motion and philosophy that's not actually that, you know, it's just silly. Most of his silly. ideas are just silly and ridiculous. He's still got the um, Justice League. Yeah, yeah, which will be out next year as a six-part series on HBO Max, as well as a whole entire four-hour film, because why not, hey? Why not? Didn't that get somewhat overshadowed by the uh, Batman it trailer. did. It did. That's what makes the whole Rob Passing even sadder is that he just releases this amazing trailer and now it's like, we have to stop the production. And this is recorded on Friday, so I hope nothing bad has happened to Patterson yeah. health wise until Sunday. But yeah. On to um, a more localized and nicer thing for, for us. We shot a uh, census in August. Yay. And um, <laughs> yeah, firstly, a big thank you to everyone who contributed to helping us make the film. 
we really were like kind of pushing how creative we can be with the the boundaries of COVID by going, let's go outside nighttime and just get strange. And um, uh, with a minimal crew. Yeah, yeah. real minimal crew. And, and safety it, measures and everything. I know it was intense for like all of us. I know yeah. that Jackson had to push themselves as a cinematographer. I know Ryan had to push himself as an actor, getting everyone together and just having faith in something that's a little bit strange and different to what we've done. And I hope people like it. And hopefully we'll have a trailer out by the end of the year. Do you want to say anything about sense? The nightmare yeah, just, was for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I had to say that it's probably been the hardest shoot I've ever done. First of all, given the circumstances that we're living in these days, doing it on a minimal crew, it, like it does take a lot longer mm. to set up shots and, um, to get the lighting and everything right. So, you know, there was a lot of waiting at times, but then when we were filming, it was quite fluid. Um, <clears throat> and then some of the stuff, like, we hope you guys really enjoy it. Um, we got really inventive with like, um, the makeup, the different costumes, stuff yeah. like that. And, um, just with how far and how creative we could be with the green screen. And, um, obviously there's that, uh, scene that I absolutely loved. Um, <laughs> we buried him alive. Yeah. He's been moaning about it ever since. <laughs> Won't give too much away of why he's buried alive. Yeah. But he's buried alive. But just, it wasn't even in the film. Um, <laughs> they just wanted to bury me alive. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. Pushed it myself to my limits. Um, but I think, I suppose we all kind of did, didn't we? Mm. Just to give you an idea, because it was at night, we shot right through the night. So um, being up in the morning and then filming all the way through the night, it does sort of test you. Yeah. So without further ado, Sam had the pleasure of interviewing Dan Hawkins, who is a filmmaker, but he's also a VFX um, artist. Um, he recently was working on a film called The Host, which is actually been getting real reviews and done really really well and uh yes we've worked with them in the past really nice chap so over to you sam welcome to trash house take i'm here with dan hawkins how you doing man you good i'm good thank you mate yeah how are you i'm doing well um dan's a great filmmaker who's based in london he used to live in portsmouth and we used to work with a lot and has had a career that you could only dream of so um let's dive into that career oh, i don't know if i'd go that far but yeah okay it's something for anyone from an independent level to idolise, trust me. <laughs> so, um, cool. what made you want to get into filmmaking? Uh, what, uh, I, 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 to be honest, I always wanted to make films. I was, um, I was running around with like a little VHS camera uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, you know, uh, uh, a huge bloody thing with, you know, actual VHS cassettes uh, slammed into the side, making sort of weird artsy movies, thinking I was really, you know, deep and meaningful. And um, yeah, you know, it, 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 it was just always really, really something that I was into. I, I collected uh, movies. I used to go to Blockbuster with my mate Will and, uh, you know, we'd pick out a movie every week and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, we were just... Um, just always into films um, and it just yeah it's where it came from so to you personally what would you say was your like first film not so much in regards to the first time you filmed but the first film that you're like yeah I'm proud to call this my first film uh, I, I would say it's, it's, it's a tough one isn't it because when you are learning to make films there are lots of like little films that you make along the way you know you, you go to college you make a little film here and here and there but the first one that I would say was like a proper film um, uh, was a film called Kidnap. I don't know if you've ever seen that, have you? I don't think I have, actually. No, wait, is that no. the one with... Um, I know it sounds obvious, but Kidnap a Woman? Yeah. I think do. I have. Yeah, and I'm in it. I don't know if you... Yeah, I'm actually in that film. Do you remember that? I, I think I do. I remember like some bit outside near a car. Oh yeah, so that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've probably seen it then. Um, but yeah, I I made that when I was like in my early twenties, and it was like the first film outside of uh, like education or anything like that um, that I sort of made properly. I had to like get a proper DP involved, and um, who who now actually. Uh, 
at, at the time he was just at uni, but now his name's Adam Etherington. He's like, uh, 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 you know, he shoots like Poldark and stuff like that. You know, uh, he's, you know, uh, and it's just, it's just funny because that's where everyone begins, you know, just sort of getting together and, and making silly films together, you know. But um, yeah, we made that. I had to get, you know, a producer and a DP and um, a little bit of money to work barely any money but you know we had to actually sort of make it properly um find cameras that were at the, t at the time decent i think we shot on um a sony z1 uh, uh which is yeah uh, it's like a little dv cam okay. uh, thing this is like before dslr or anything like that um and yeah um that's what we made and it was like about half an hour long I, I had to be in it because uh, we <laughs> couldn't, you know, uh, we didn't really know how to cast or do anything like that. But um, uh, yeah, it was really fun. And I was, that was the first one that felt like, oh, this is a proper story. Actually feels like a film. Uh, I can send it out to festivals and things like that. And uh, you know, yeah, that was, that was the first one. So I've always seen you as sort of like, um, like you're a craftsman in regards to, you have a hell of a lot of talent within each section of filmmaking, so like cinematography, editing, color grading, a lot of post-production stuff. But um, do you have a particular one that you like to focus more on, or do you just see where the job takes you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think more and more filmmakers are coming up in, in that way now, because, you know, first of all, all of these... Um, tools are available to us it is possible to color grade your own film and to be a soundie and to shoot your own stuff and mm. you know essentially do every job on set so i think there's a lot of filmmakers now that are kind of getting some experience at least or some skill in every area and i sort of definitely went through <laughs> each area one by one so started off as a you know wanting to be a writer and director and then realizing that I had to shoot my own stuff if I wanted to get it made and then realizing I had to edit my own stuff and realizing if I wanted VFX in this film, then I had to make my own VFX and stuff. Um, and actually now, um, that's been a huge uh, focus of my career. Um, uh, lots of people uh, think of me almost completely as a, as a, as a VFX uh, artist. And... Um, I mean, I, I also think it's about um, the fact that there are fewer VFX artists than there are directors of photography or, or directors. Do you know what I mean? So it's, if you have skill in that area, then you're going to get called upon more to do it. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, yeah, um, I, I, I do. I have focused quite a lot on VFX over the past couple of years. Yeah. So, <clears throat> with the kind of work you've been doing recently now, you've, you've done some pretty impressive music videos with um, loads of different kind of people. I remember, like, again, because we haven't spoken a lot as much as we used to, but I remember you were doing a video for MIA with um, Sam Taylor, another fantastic filmmaker. So how does that compare yeah. to doing, like, advertising music videos with doing more, I don't know, like a short film or a feature film? How... How does making music yeah, videos compare? Yeah, I suppose yeah. In, a, in a craft sense, because obviously with advertising, you're trying to sell something, and with a story, you're trying to, you know, tell a story, as obvious as it sounds. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, 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 are there differences for people who want to get into that industry? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there, yeah, there are, there are lots of differences, I suppose. Um, but essentially... It also depends on what level you're making that uh, ad or music video or or short film or feature film or, or, or whatever it is like and so so I think usually if you're making a narrative uh, piece then it's normally a labor of love um, you know everyone involved wants to I mean it's difficult because that's everyone that works in the film industry is there because they love it. So it almost, it doesn't matter what job you're on. Um, you always see a lot of effort and you see people really trying to make the, the best thing they possibly can. 
Um, but yeah, the, the difference with narrative uh, work most of the time is that the budgets aren't as big. Um, people are doing it, uh, you know, often lots of favours being pulled in, things like that. Um, you know, so I suppose... I suppose the difference between uh, narrative and, and, and more commercial work is that um, it's harder uh, and you have to put more effort in and you have to get paid less and stuff mm. like that. Um, that's that's normally the difference. Um, but I still think, you know, at, at, at a sort of earlier level, when we very first started out, we still needed to treat music videos and commercials in the same way um we uh you know we weren't known we needed to make we a name for ourselves essentially and, and you have to put a lot of effort even into the music videos and the um the you know the boring commercial stuff that you do um you, you still want to make it the best possible thing it can be you know um yeah no, I completely agree, man. Like, I remember back in the day when some of the music videos you were working on, um, there was that brilliant continuous shot one for that uh, track, hip-hop track. That was that was fantastic. It's the thing, we got kind of lucky because we got, we got to hang out with you and see what you were working on and you were able to help us with what we were working on. And in 2012, yeah. we had you involved with our continuous one-take uh, crazy film with the drug tours which was uh, an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, I, I'd love to do all that kind of stuff more, to be honest. Um, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, I, I, I would say that to any young filmmaker is just get involved in as many projects as you possibly can. Um, and, yeah, when I was in Portsmouth, um, any time anyone came along, especially you guys, but uh, anyone that that really wanted to put something together, um, I, I really I always wanted to get involved. And again, it comes back to the fact that that's what filmmaking is. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's long hours and lots of hard work and stuff like that. But everyone involved loves it. That's why they do it. And um, uh, drug tours was uh, <laughs> yeah, very kind of it was. It, I think there wasn't even really a script or anything like that. Yeah, a, a loose bullet pointed script to give it. It was like a plan, wasn't there? Like, yeah. oh, let's go to five people's houses, and um, in each house, there's like a different drug being taken or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, and we were all like the crew, uh, but we had to act in it, even though we were, you know, we we were the crew, so we obviously were like filming each other. So yeah, it was very silly and very fun, and. Um, uh, and that was, <laughs> I think it might be, there should be a record really. Like that's probably <laughs> like the cheapest, fastest feature film that's ever, ever been made, I would think. Because <laughs> um, it was literally made in the time that it took to shoot it. it you know, <laughs> we, we shot it in a couple of hours and then that was, that was the length of the film. Um, so I, I remember... Um, yeah. <laughs> At the end yeah. of the film, where like, because obviously one of the houses that you go to is the um, the methadrone house, and we obviously used uh, glucose for methadrone, and you snorted so much glucose during that scene that, that <laughs> you, you, you couldn't sleep. Oh my god! Yeah, Just sniffing yeah. away. I'm sure, I did. See, you know, into it when I inhabit a role. <laughs> Um, you know, I go all the way. Uh, I, I actually didn't really remember that, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good, um, that's a good point. Uh, that was that was a very funny night. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I think we even filmed in my house a little bit as well. We did. I played um, the first drug dealer, the weed dealer, with um, Will. Yeah. Will was there, and it all kicked off uh, from yeah. there. And of course, yeah. Sean Iola was involved, and yeah, it was crazy shoot, crazy shoot. So this kind of obviously led you on to much bigger and better things. Now, um, one of the films that you've been involved in has been, you know, like, let's be honest, it's, it's the buzz film of the year. It's, it's huge. And, and all honesty, like, most people keep saying it, but it is a masterpiece. I'm talking about a host that's on Shudder at the moment. I was genuinely like, as me and Jack watched it, and we we're like, this is really good. This is really good. 
and we're watching yeah. the craftsmanship of it and how quickly the narrative's going across and how bloody terrifying it is. And then the credits, there's your name. And I was just like, oh my <laughs> God. And I was like, of course, Rob Savage. Dan used to talk about Rob years ago. This makes more yeah. sense now. So what was it like yeah. being involved with that film? Uh, it was good fun, yeah, man. Uh, it was really good. Um, uh, yeah, as you know, I, I've worked with Rob for uh, quite a while. Um, and, and yeah, they got in touch and just said, you know, do you want to do the VFX on this, on this film? And, um, it, it, you know, it really, the great thing about those guys is that they, they go all out. I mean, um, it wasn't the biggest budget in the world to do host, you know, um, and it was an extremely, <laughs> uh, extremely limited kind of, uh, uh, way of filming because it was during lockdown and um, couldn't really uh, interact with anyone. So everything was being shot by uh, the artist, the, 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 the cast. And um, so, yeah, they, they were having to sort all their own stuff out. They were having to um, record their own sound. They We had to send them um, mobile phones, which they filmed on. It's not actually shot on laptops even though we did record through webcams it's um it's actually shot on on phones that yes. are attached to the top of laptops mm. just because if you if you record through zoom um you uh you can get because you know obviously it's you know over the internet uh you can get like drop frames and stuff like that so it would have ended up being an issue if we recorded uh, directly through zoom so we wanted the same quality um, you know the same kind of character that a webcam has. Yeah. So just use mobile phones, and um, and they had to, you know, they had to like data wrangle all their own footage and and get it over to Brenner, who was our editor, um, and that had to be like all sent over, you know, uh, over, over broadband or whatever. And some people's connections weren't so good. So that took, in some cases, like days to get footage over to the editor and stuff like that. Um, there were so many uh, uh, logistical uh, uh, concerns, considerations, that, uh, uh, but it kind of made it all, all the more fun, really. Um, and doing the effects on, on a horror film as well was just was, was great. Uh, uh, I haven't, haven't really gone gone all out as you know uh on a horror film uh, that much before but it was it was really good and and those guys as well rob and jed um they're like horror aficionados they know everything about every horror movie ever and so they just had like a wish list of kills um <laughs> and grisly deaths you know and and they just you know wanted to work and of course couldn't have done any of them without the incredible stunt team mm. uh, that got involved. Um, Lucky 13 Action, they're called. Um, and uh, yeah, they're incredible. So so through all of those different people, it all kind of came together. Lots of fun. It's crazy, man. So I think of like one of your earlier short films, um, which wasn't completely a horror film. I don't know if I saw all of it, but I, I talked to you a lot about it. The drug addiction film you did with um, Danny Carter. And there are obviously elements that played into oh, yeah, uh, yeah. horror aspects. Bloody hell, yeah, Haven, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it must be, yeah. you know, you you're obviously creating that as like for some love, and there was some horror in there. And now you're working with probably the new the new face of horror, as it was, because they're like everywhere in the best way possible. And I'm I'm really happy for you guys because I, I love good horror, and to see a good British horror taking getting quite a bit of a response from from the world in America and everything. It's amazing. It is amazing the response that it's had. Like I didn't. I mean, honestly, I didn't. I didn't think it was going to be that big. Um, the film, like, it was like a little. You know, lockdown happened, and everyone's kind of. You know, the film industry is essentially shut down for a bit. Uh, all of the um, the briefs uh, that you normally get through didn't come through. All the live action briefs essentially got changed. To animation briefs because people are still trying to produce stuff um, in lockdown when you're not allowed to film anymore. Mm. 
though no one's really working that much, um, or if they are working, they're just working in post-production. No one's on set, so you're not really seeing anyone. And um, and then I got a phone call from Dougie, the producer, and it was like, "Hey, man, do you want to make a film during lockdown?" It's <laughs> like, uh, "Yeah, how's that going to work?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And. Um, and yeah, and so and then and then Rob sent me the script and stuff like that, and we had a chat about it, and uh, and it was just like, okay, we're going to do this. Oh right, how do you want to do it? Do you want to shoot on phones now? All right, yeah, okay, yeah, sound, that sounds like fun. Just thought it was going to be a little thing, and then Dougie was like, oh yeah, we're we're getting the money from from AMC. <laughs> Like, AMC, you mean like Mad Men and Breaking Bad and stuff? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, they've got they own this streaming channel called Shudder and it's going to be on there and I was like you know right okay this is a bit more serious than I thought and um, yeah and then it came out and the response was like insane it got like probably hasn't anymore but uh, it had like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes at the beginning and stuff like that and uh, yeah it's just gone and I I think that the reason people have connected with it so much is because of, I mean, first of all, credit to Rob because he said, like, like, um, no equivocations. This film has got to come out within like the next month or so. It was unbelievable how quickly that film was turned around because it was like it was a film about isolation, and so he wanted it to be out during uh, uh, during. You know, or at least very, very close to the lockdown period, kind of thing, um, so that we all still felt it when we were watching it. And then that interface, that Zoom interface, um, we're just all so connected with it at the moment. So I think, uh, you know, I know quite a few people that watched it on their laptop, and it's it's one of the few films I think that it actually works better to watch it on your laptop. You know, it feels yeah, like you're actually yeah. on the Zoom call with, with the other people in the film. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's you're, you're, you're weirdly complicit in the movie, uh, which just feels very scary, I think. Um, so, yeah, it, it really did do a lot better than, yeah, than anyone, I think, expected. It was really good. I think one of the genius things about the film is when you have that, that the most simplicity of, like, primal fear... And by mixing with um, being the first, you know, the first Zoom seance movie, basically, it's a very simple concept, but it's genius at the same time. And if it's done well, it's done well. And you guys got there. Yeah, yeah, the Zoom seance. Yeah, that's, that's really funny. Do you, do you know how the film came about in the first? I told you tonight. It? It's like a prank. It was a prank. It was a prank video. That, that yes. Was, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. 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 So, so he made this like prank video that then went viral which he did over zoom um and and yeah that 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 went viral and then off the back of that you know as i say amc and uh shudder you know got involved and said oh let's turn this uh into into something bigger but they didn't have that much at the beginning it was like okay we want to do a horror film uh it's it's gonna be like on zoom um we want to include some of the elements from the prank, from the prank that we shot. Um, uh, how are we going to do it? And then apparently, uh, Jed Shepard, uh, one evening, uh, just after he found this, just text Rob two words and was like, Zoom seance. <laughs> and um, kind of a kind of very mental idea, but I think Rob just ran with it immediately. He was like, yeah, that's perfect. Um, and then they went from there and they got another writer involved girl uh, named Gemma Hurley. Mm. He's an incredible writer. Um, yeah, and um, and just sort of ran with it. But yeah, Zoom Seance, is, uh, it's, it's, it's very good. It's very good. I think it was just like a, uh, you know, just a, a very, a very easy way to get into, into some horror. And, yeah. um, you know, I think Rob even knew had he done he'd done a little documentary I think with a real medium okay. and I think that had taken him uh, in that direction and she actually 
got involved um, before the shooting process, Rob actually did a real life Zoom seance with the cast and the writers and this medium who he had um, done a doc with beforehand. Mm. And um, a lot of the ideas for the film actually uh, happened in that, oh. in that uh, uh, it seems sounds so obviously none of the deaths or anything like that but like uh, when they were filming things like uh, when they were doing the original seance before the actual uh, host film they um, uh, uh, people's candles were like blowing in weird ways and, and like a uh, a book came off of Gemma's shelf and she got really, really upset and stuff like that. And, and, and also the, the, the mediums like internet cut out halfway through the call. So that was put into the film oh, as well. And they all got really scared and stuff. That's such a good um, idea to do it beforehand to get that kind of natural flow of, you know, where, where people feel the fear and how people are going to react and stuff. It's brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a good idea whatever you're doing, mm. like, you know, if you can, you know, from as simple as just like running, running through dialogue, right? So like very, very often you write something and, and, and you'll write what needs to be said in a scene. So like, you know, as a writer, you're trying to go, okay, this is the aim of this scene. I need to get here. This is the information that needs to get across. Hopefully, it characterises them a little bit. Um, but then, it, you know, you, you say those words out loud and they, they just don't ring true. And if you can run those lines at the beginning, you know, with a friend or, or whatever, you can turn them into language that is real. Do you know what I mean? You can you can put a real voice on it kind of thing instead of just on the page where it's a bit bare and, and you, you don't really get a sense of what it is. Um and I think that's true from from you know as simple as writing dialogue all the way through to to any concept you might be going after. If you can go, if you write a club scene, do you know what I mean? Like think think about what it's really like in a in a club. If you uh, you know write scenes on a beach, or if you write a scene a, a, any a, anywhere, if you can go and be in that for a moment, you can. I don't know. I, I just, I, I think it's the most, I mean, host is a good example of how important uh, genuine performances are. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Like the, 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 they're very, very, they ran those lines over and over and over and over again. And a lot of it was uh, ad-libbed. Mm. And, um, and also they're all, apart from Teddy, who came in, uh, uh, you know, during, during the casting process, whatever, uh, all of the other, people in the film are, are really friends oh, nice. um, they really know each other and they you know they hang out and stuff like that so the performances are very 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 genuine um, yeah I think I think everyone should always try to do everything they can to uh, to push that as much as possible I completely agree with you man um, so what's next the, the world must be your oyster at this point uh, so yeah <laughs> what, what's the next plan um, well you know, there there are things happening. Uh, I, can't, I don't think I'm really allowed to speak about them that much, but of course, um, yeah. It, like so, there's there's more host related stuff coming, basically. Um, so that's on the horizon, um, and I'm sure you'll find out about stuff like that fairly soon. Um, beyond that, I mean, you know, we're still in this weird time. So just before lockdown. We had a couple of short films that we were developing. Mm. Um, uh, so when I say we, that's me and um, uh, another filmmaker, a guy called Sam Taylor, through uh, uh, a production company called Agile, um, looking at a few short films. But but things definitely for a lot of people have have kind of not not stopped, but just been put on hiatus for a little bit because everyone's a bit unsure about what's what's happening. Um, I'm working with a really uh, amazing director at the moment, a girl called uh, Nwaka uh, Okaprik. We just did a music video for um, an artist called Josie Mann, 
Nice. And that'll be coming out quite soon. Um, and there's a few various bits and pieces like that in the, in the pipeline with with her and a few other uh, a few other directors. But yeah, definitely want to get back to um, more narrative stuff very soon. But yeah, uh, watch this space because there's definitely more uh, host related uh, content coming soon. That's fantastic, man. Thank you so much for um, joining us and having a chat. And I hope I'll get to see you soon next no time down in Portsmouth because it's been a long time since I've seen you and I'd love to have a catch up. Yeah, we'll do that, man, for sure. No worries. Excellent, man. Thank you very much for joining us and I will speak right. to you soon. Take care, Sam. See you later. Bye-bye. So, guys, this monthly discussion, we decided to discuss aliens. The main reason being, really, is, that, like, as we said a couple of times, everything's going bad in the world right now. The, our new normal is very weird. So why not discuss something that's out of this world? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we decided to do it in three separate categories. Uh, so, yeah, we hope you guys enjoy this. And, uh, yeah. So the three categories we wanted to look at of aliens is the idea of the first encounter, then we wanted to look at alien invasion, and then the bigger spectrum of alien worlds. I swear we'll start the first encounter, because obviously that's the <laughs> first, first time. Off, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> first time you see an alien, that should be the way you start, you know? You have to meet them before they invade. There's like two versions of this kind of film, because it can be a very family-friendly concept. Mm. I can also show the more darker side of humanity and how it responds to it. But you also have the more horrific side where you, you turn into a horror film where you're going to be outnumbered very, very quickly. And um, one of the, I wanted to obviously focus on that point first. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about the, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers series. Mm. Now, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers series, there are, there are four versions of it. And then there's the stealth one, which still kind of counts. You have the 1950s version, which is very much like about communism. Because the idea is that they've all become conformists, they're all one then, so that they've been cloned in like peas and they come out of the plants and they're, they're exactly the same, but they're more idealistically close to the aliens. And in the 50s, a director used this as a communist metaphor, or some could argue as, an, as a, the complete opposite, as a capitalist metaphor. It's hard to know exactly because, you know, it's within the audience's response. Then you have the 70s version with Donald Sutherland, which is... It plays on that, but it's not the bigger, it's more of a horror film and it's a brilliant film. Then Abel Ferreira did one in the 90s, which plays more just the idea of a conformist, that that idea of thinking everything's normal because they reset it within suburbia, which is a nice little metaphor for America. And then there's a 2000s one, which the invasion with Daniel Craig haven't seen, everybody said it was terrible, which means that the metaphors must have been completely lost for its existence. But there's another one as well, The Faculty. If you it's Rodriguez film from 1997, it's pretty much the invasion of the body snatchers, but without oh, that yeah, franchise. I remember that, yeah. It always comes back to that idea that if things are too normalized and you break away from it, then there could be something more darker behind this. And when you apply it to aliens, it is almost on like a like a class idea to some degree. Because obviously the aliens are the higher species because they're the ones who have got to us and have been able to infiltrate. Yeah. First Would you call that a first encounter film and not an invasion film then? You're right, that is an invasion film. And I suppose like if you go to the first starter of where it becomes the first encounter, you yeah. could argue that The Thing yeah, is yeah. a perfect first that. encounter film mm. in the horror sense. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you're right, is a little bit later on. But I think it's because it's so rural and so like either in suburbia or a small part of an area and you realise it's actually much wider that to me it didn't doesn't fully fit yeah, it's, it's not a, a fast-paced invasion. It's yeah. a slow invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I get that. Whereas, of course, with The Thing, we see that this is the first ship that's landed, as mm. far as our story can tell us, and we're seeing the first responses to it. Yeah. But again, it plays into that beautiful thing that Body Snatchers does with that idea of paranoia and who can be trusted. Yeah. I know we went into great lengths with this with our review, which you can check out a good couple of episodes in the last season. <laughs> um, but it does, you either get that deep paranoia which then plays really well into family-friendly alien films, oddly. So we think of E.T. E.T., it's the paranoia of the government as to what they can get from the alien, or is this alien bad? And 
it's interesting from it's because you're not from the alien perspective, you're from the little boy's perspective. You're supposed to show the innocence of humanity, whereas there is that wonder kind to go. Actually, I can have peace with you because I don't know any better, but to have a friendlier manner. Whereas, um, yeah, the government is the human response of fear and paranoia or ways to manipulate. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on which which side of the uh, spectrum you're looking at it from, because. Um, as we said, like with the first encounters, there's kind of like two, like two or three different versions of it, where you have these, like, um, you know, it, it either goes badly or it, or it's, uh, you know, an idealistic sort of uh, story of how we can do our best in those moments. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, in in terms of that, you're, you're looking at like paranoia being played out in order to sort of um, uh, see who's going to be at fault and, and how that they can, they can make it fault. Like in the thing, the, the alien plays off their paranoia. Yeah. Um, uh, because of, because of its nature, because of what, what the alien is in it, it, uh, in itself, there's no way that that could have gone well. Like there's no way they could have had a first encounter with that alien where they sat down and came up with some peace accord or trade deal or something, you know, it's not tea. Exactly. There's <laughs> it's not. It, Do it aliens even been, like tea. I doubt it. I mean, the 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 <laughs> the, the thing in uh, the thing, um, it, you know, it, it would have turned into a cup of tea and attacked them immediately. You know, it, it, it's it, yeah. that's yeah. the thing is what you you like by comparing sort of like ET with the thing. It's kind of like well, they they unfortunately got released at the same time. Exactly. Well, yeah. Didn't help. <laughs> it's interesting though when you look at that because I was thinking when you were talking about that, it made me think of the other element of first encounter intelligence of the alien mm. is the alien just a beast that wants to kill or is it going to kill you so when you look at alien that is a first encounter film yeah even though there's the bigger story of the corporations and the reason why they're there to get the alien to mm. weaponize but that's part itself, of the nature of the first encounter that's what's made the first encounter yeah. happen isn't it and, and think, sorry go on no no you I was just going to say, like, I'll come back to Alien in a second, but just as you're discussing it and um, seeing it from the different perspectives, like, if you can see it from a neutral, uh, like, bird's eye view point, it's kind of interesting to see what kind of stories come out of that. Mm. So what springs to mind is Arrival. Yeah, yeah. And that's effectively two different races or, well, creatures, so aliens, humans, trying to communicate but there's like that language barrier. So, mm. and the humans initially think, oh, they've come to invade, but actually no, they've, they've come to help, yeah. but they just can't get their point across. So they do all the translating and, um, is it Amy Adams? Yeah. yeah. It? Um, and that's an absolutely brilliant film to just sort of, well, if you take a step back and let's see, mm. like they're not harming us, they're not attacking us. Whereas then from the alien side of it, they've gone there to deliberately, attack them yeah so they are they're going to get defensive so who's the ones in the wrong there it's the humans that's it there is always a moral question with first encounter films not so alien invasion films generally the aliens are invading yeah but first encounters you can really play with that moral like like you said who's, who's the good guys yeah well where is the film being told from because mm. again going back to et it's from the little boy's perspective yeah he is almost like the middle ground between the aliens and the humans yeah and yeah arrival does it in a more intellectual kind of way and i don't want to get into too much of the big reveal at the end because i know jack hasn't seen it <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a brilliant reveal. i've always wanted to see it. It, it it looks like such a great film but i've just never i never saw it coming okay i didn't even know there was a twist and now you guys have spoiled that for me <laughs> the, so. the alien element when we go back to alien like the key franchise in that regards as it kept going in it never again became an invasion film. It was more about them almost infiltrating more into the aliens' world rather than the aliens invading. Yes, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there was ever an alien film where they were on Earth. Or was there? No, they, they go towards Earth in Alien Resurrection, but they don't get to Earth. And in Alien 3, it's just a big prison planet. So would you argue then that um, Alien versus Predator is a first encounter? Alien versus Predator is like... It's just, it's a hard one because obviously well, Predator is an interesting point. Predator is the first encounter, but he's a hunter. Yeah. He just comes to the world to hunt. So it's just them two franchises mashing up. Like It's not... It's fan service as opposed to yeah, so being any kind of specific. 
yeah, yeah, you couldn't really like it's first encounter because if I'm right, the films from the soldiers or perspective or the people's perspectives rather than predator and alien coming to earth and yeah. there's people there. So it is a first encounter film in that regards, but it's more just throwing two icons together and making a terrible movie. So, you know, but that kind of like, when you see it, like we said, there's those three different narrative structures of where it can go. It really gives you the eye of the morality of where that story is going. Mm. And um, when you go to, like we said, the second category, alien invasion, it generally, it's generally either one person undercovering that there's a bigger thing happening. Yeah. Or it's just war. It's mm. all out war. Independence Day. Yeah. <laughs> and it can really tie into patriotism, which is odd because it really should tie into unification of the whole world. And I, yeah. I know Independence Day has that big speech at the end where he's like, the day is everybody's Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> and it does have that thing. And the thing is, an alien invasion, generally speaking, the stories play out. The humans win. They don't always have the aliens just wipe out all the humans. The end, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it would be pretty miserable. Yeah, it would be. Very, very miserable. I think with alien invasion films... They like you say that they always seem to end with the the humans winning and oh yeah happy roses and they they sometimes find like this one tiny min like minuscule detail that absolutely will cripple all of the aliens mm. stuff so um yeah Independence Day I think it's like they've got to just kill the the queen of it's because you yeah, have such a think, big unknown force then, that you've got to find you some think of like the, the, science is a good example. So, yeah, I was going to say though, but the problem with the kind of them in uh, invasion films is that it doesn't leave you any room for anything after. If you think about uh, is it Independence Day Resurrection? I don't know. I've not seen it. Well, it's the second one. Like, it's just effectively the first story, but oh, everything's bigger. <laughs> a sequelitis, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But a, a good example of what you were talking about is in War of the Worlds. Obviously, they discover that that the, the end. Um, it's the uh, it, it's it's something in the water, isn't yeah. it? Is it? Yeah, it's something in the water that uh, kills all of the aliens, and it just happens to be, uh, you know, that that's what's that's what's there. It's not like there's any kind of. I mean, there's a resistance and there's stuff like that, but there's not really. It's not the humans winning the battle. It's just nature Happens taking sense. its course. Well, in the comedy sense, um, the the parody film Mars Attacks from the nineties. <laughs> yeah. It's just that particular type of singing, isn't it? That makes their heads explode. Mm. Just certain pitch, and that was it. They were all dead. <laughs> It's, it's interesting though with alien invasion films because they do grow over time. Obviously, a lot of it is to do with the technology that filmmakers have to play with it. It's always a consistent fear because people don't really understand it. And a lot of it comes from like the 50s with more the, the nuclear fear with like giant ants and stuff. And then because of the UFOs popping up with Roswell and things like that, they fucking jumped on that franchise and go, let's have more alien invasions. I think there's a there was sort of a, an attitude of like we've got to be prepared for any disastrous war that could come our way because you know they 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 felt like it was on the brink at any any moment um, all the time. Yeah, that's so, the thing. You you definitely get a wave of alien films during certain more war tastic times. Let's say. Well, I think it's when like war wars anticipated, but it's not yeah. actually kind of yeah, happening. Point, is yeah. is yeah. I think as as well, um, you can flip the whole is alien invasion idea. So Starship Troopers, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I suppose to a certain extent alien. Yeah, to some degree, with it being the business. That's the thing. No one ever focuses on that because the aliens so front and center. Yeah, but. yeah. But with Starship Troopers, they've obviously gone onto this other planet to try and like what to take it over. Colonize, yeah. So that that's interesting. From I know it's a bit more of a kind of a well, it's kind of the reverse of it, isn't it? It is. It's, yeah, it's a human invasion film. <laughs> but the thing is, when we think of any alien invasion film, it's not going to be unification. We're humanity. What are we going to do? We go all right. We're going to go find them aliens. We're going to invade them. <laughs> oh, that's that's the reality that's of a, humanity. That's a, that's a bleak outlook. <laughs> but it's interesting with alien invasion films, like obviously straight. After that, we go into the alien worlds. Yeah, that was our third category. Mm. And weirdly, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe because of the kind of more people on drugs or just the things happening in the 70s. But in the 70s, you saw more films that wanted to show you the aliens' world. Mm. 
rather than in the 50s where it was all about the invasion and stuff. When we go into different kind of times where, you know, things were bleak and people weren't sure where their ideology stood, we started to see more of these other worlds and other possibilities. Mm. And uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, Star Wars is, is actually a great example of that, of the essentially the the massive like diversity of different species like living together in in mm. close proximity and stuff that you know and there's no language barrier particularly they all speak their own language and understand each other same with the robots somehow no one ever really has been able to explain this to me but <laughs> i'll <laughs> talk to holes, you plot holes aside i'll talk to you after the podcast <laughs> but yeah it's um and, and uh, i with the Star Trek films, you've obviously got an example of that sort of like inter interspecies living and and um, essentially how uh, sort of the idealistic version of what we could someday get to yeah. and someday be. Well, that's it. Like it's the very slim difference between first encounters because first encounters generally rely on being in a, a more human environment than the alien is entering. Mm. Whereas, of course, with uh, Alien World, it's us entering into their atmosphere mm. and seeing uh, not just a different society, a different instinct, a different everything, you know? Mm. I think um, it's interesting because you, you can play it for any genre as well if you're visiting an alien planet. It's all about what intentions you want to go with. Yeah. Um, even even to a degree, Interstellar has that play. Like, I was just thinking aliens, that. aliens, but... Mm. There's some sort of entities that we don't fully understand. But that's like fifth dimension or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but I, like but aliens from alien another world. dimension. Well, yeah, I suppose then that raises the question: is that if, yeah, if it's unknown and it's like in space, mm -hmm. is it aliens or is it just like dimensional? So that again is down to interpretation. Let's go to say um, Prometheus is a good one. Where not a fantastic film, but that whole idea of going into the unknown and you're following it from the perspective of them and you, you kind of don't know what you're going to see. And I think there's one scene where they go into a cave or something. And like, I remember the first time I watched that, it was really tense um, because you're, you're going along with their anxiety. And then when it is revealed, it's kind of a bit like, oh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think that's the thing because you have to build this whole entire well, this whole entire textural, whatever, like image-wise, smell, sound, you need to make it as believable as possible to, mm -hmm. to the audience, but also obviously to the performance. And um, it, it does just, generally speaking, if you're doing going to another planet, you are playing on that same idea, like you said, the unknown. Mm. And um, that's really like, it sums up aliens quite nicely as a whole entire thing. Mm. It's unknown. It allows you to imagine something that could be um, this is it. You, um, you, if you put those three categories, yeah, you're imagining being introduced to that new thing to your own environment. Mm. Then you're imagining that thing coming to destroy your environment. And or the third thing or is not. the unknownness of leaving your environment. Yeah, and it's a nice way to kind of see alien films as a as a total, I guess. Mm. Cool. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed our first episode back. Um, as ever, drop us a like. Please subscribe. And um, leave a comment if you have an opinion of a film uh, with aliens in it that you liked. Um, remember as well, guys, www.trasharts.co.uk. Check us out. We just updated a bit more onto the website. So there's more content and stuff. Check it out. Um, and other than that, guys, Trash Arts Takeout. Bye-bye. ta -da.